Welcome back to the Writer Show podcast. We've been managing to get these shows out weekly. If you're a regular listener, I hope you're enjoying the new frequency. If you're listening for the first time, well, on the Writer's Show podcast, we talk to the writers and songwriters about the business, art and craft of writing. Today, we're talking about The Weary God of Ancient Travellers, which is my favourite book title of the year, and also my favourite book by US author Jessica Stilling. Jessica publishes under the pen names Jessica Stilling for her literary fiction and J.M. Stephen for science fiction and fantasy. Jessica has studied literature and creative writing at the New School and City College of the City University of New York. She's also worked as an editor and has taught at the New School, the Gotham Writers Workshop and the City University of New York. She currently lives in New York City and we've got her on the show today to talk about her latest novel, The Weary God of Ancient Travellers. Let's dive into the interview. Jessica Stilling, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, the Weary God of Ancient Travellers is your, your new book. A great title, by the way. What's the story behind that? Do your titles arise well, out of the story or do you keep a list of titles that work as a writing prompt? Well, it's it's titles have always been almost like my Achilles heel. I am not good with titles. And so it was funny, this title, because it went through a lot of various different iterations before we got to this title. Um, so I wanted to call it Fractured Exile for a while because that sort of described the situation of these people living in a country that not, is not their own and having fractured you know, memories of things. And, and then I thought the, the weary god of ancient travelers just came to me. And there's this idea of history, which is embedded in the novel, and this idea of, you know, just being weary and old. And um, my agent actually told me that's a terrible title. You're never going to sell the book. Why don't you call it Remember That Night? And I thought, well, that's a terribly boring title. But he said, nope, it's better. Yeah. Remember, that's he swore by it. He tried to sell the book with that title. Didn't work. I'm like, we're going back to the weary god of ancient travelers. That's the title. And 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 that sold. So, yeah. It's a very evocative title. L- literary <laughs> fiction's a notoriously hard sell to publishers. What What's your advice to young writers committed to writing the great novel? I, I will say, yes, it is a very hard sell. And I wish that... I had understood the the magnitude of that going into writing. And I'm like, oh, and, and, and everyone said it. And and I just sort of didn't believe them. Like, but everything I read is literary. So obviously that means everything that is published is literary. And of course, that's not true. And I, I knew that logically. Um, so I think that one of the big things is to try to find agents and publishers and outlets that care about literary fiction. Um, it's actually what I have noticed is when you're approaching a publisher or a, an outlet to sort of you know do a do an interview or, or do a, a guest post or you know try to find places that really only list literary fiction because that means they they actually care about it. I, almost every agent puts literary fiction down in their their list of titles that they they're looking for because 
they kind of want a literary book kind of because it gives them prestige and oh if they could get a pulitzer but many of them are not necessarily actually thinking about literature if they have a big list of all these sci-fi genres and all of these romance genres and all of this other genre stuff and by the way literary fiction chances are they're not going to take your literary fiction um so it really is even the the better, smaller niche places that seem to really care and champion literary fiction it's really important to seek those out good advice is there any resource where people could um find publishers that prefer literary fiction well i would say and, and i'm sure that um and i'm not sure if you know this asianquery.com ah, which yeah. um I, I don't know if you've worked with them um or, or seen that the website and it it's not just a literary fiction um um, database. It's all agents, but their search criteria is so well done and refined, and it's it's free. Um, there are other sources that that aren't free that um, work well as well. Um, but so I I really found it the best way to really weed out the places that were not really looking for literary fiction, um, and and it really is just the way that their their search engine is is created. It it weeds things out well. Um, and it, it has a huge database and unlike a lot of databases, like very few of the links are broken. Um, very mm -hmm. few of the information is incorrect. Um, another place is what's called Dutropes Digest. Put that in the, capitalize that D. Um, Dutropes Digest is another place that has a, a great wealth of information on literary magazines and, um, agents and small presses and it, they have a huge database and a great search engine but they are a pay site so you do have to pay for that so um it is a it, it's a good service but it's it's not free but those are my two favorite places they're great resources they Thank are you. i want to talk to you about the sense of place in the weary god of ancient travelers the the tastes smells and scents of greece and santorini are, are vivid was this deliberate as a contrast to your protagonist who was lost to psychological sense of place, I guess? I really wanted to get that across. Um, and thank you for noticing that. Um, the, this idea that um, she is almost like this blank slate of just little memories here and there. And the world that she's living in is such the present moment. Um, and this idea of the Mediterranean and the, the garlic pasta and the fish and the sea yeah. and everything smells, everything looks and tastes. And um, I, I definitely wanted the present moment to be so visceral. Um, so that way, this is a novel about the past and this is a novel talking about the past, but it's also, um, you know, really looking at her, her larger world. Um, and so I wanted the two to contrast. Quite extraordinary, the a sense of place in the book. It's oh. um, one of my favourite things oh, in, in any any writing. It's, it's it's quite a magical thing to conjure. What was the inspiration for the book? It's really interesting the way that the book, and I, I always find that there are two kinds of ways that books come uh, to myself and to, to many people I know who write. One is, you know, you think and you research and you come up with ideas and you do a lot of planning. And the other is it just falls into your head. Um, and this book just fell into my head. And I was actually, I was like standing in this home and I think it was Connecticut 
in, in the US and um, I was eating garlic shrimp pasta. And huh. that that's and that's why that's the first scene. And it just somehow the book just sort of fell into my head. And I had visited Greece about a year before yeah. I started writing this book. And so it in my head and uh, I agree, sense of places. That's why people read and that's why people write to go elsewhere, <laughs> to go not be here. Um, so that was really the moment. And then it, these ideas of memory and, and I, I could almost hear Lydia's voice in my head before I knew her story. Um, and that, that night I just started brainstorming and this happened. A wonderful thing. That, that's your inspiration. What's your writing practice? How do you approach the craft to to complete a book like that? And I, I think that is is really important to like have a routine. And I know there's a lot of talk in you know especially writing workshop circles. If you are a planner or what they call a pantser, um, which is yeah. lying by the seat of your pants and um, just writing as you write. And for for this book, I. I really felt very inspired right away, but I also believe in like plotting. So I had this notebook and I, I plotted the whole book out. And when I went back and looked at it, when I finished the book, I realized like I changed half, half of what I'd planned. Um, so it wasn't like I, I stuck to the plan completely, but having yeah. it was helpful. And then I did character sketches and I really thought about, you know, theme and, and then I planned every chapter out. Um, and, so it was a little more clear as I was writing what was going on. But there's a lot of things that I changed. Um, like David Copperfield was not supposed to be the love interest at all. He was yeah. the friend character who was the friend. And it became very obvious whenever these two were in a room together, there was so much romantic tension that I yeah. like just wrote out the the love interest and said, well, oh, here we go. Let's let's see what happens with this. Yeah. So it did sort of organically happen. But having the framework's important. Yes, very much so. Your your last novel, the, the Beekeeper's Daughter, is a kind of reimagining of Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar. What was your inspiration for taking that approach? That was much more intellectual um, than this book, as far as, as the idea yeah. coming to me. I remember reading The Bell Jar and thinking, I wish she had written more. <laughs> I wish we knew more about Sylvia Plath. Mm. And I did a lot of research on Plath and a lot of research on her, her marriage to Ted Hughes. And, and I really tried to get inside um, the head of Esther Greenwood, um, her main character. Um, so it was a lot more research-based and, and a lot more factual. Um, but I did want to discuss this idea of Sylvia Plath and, and the artist and as sort of a delicate creature and also sort of women dealing with mental illness. Um, but I would definitely say that that's a much more intellectual um, book, and it was much more into intellectually approached. Was that much? Was that a much more difficult book to write? Parts of it were. I, I think that the research part and really making sure that I was being true to Sylvia Plath and and who she was. Um, I, I didn't want to get anything wrong, um, and sometimes like the little nuances of London in the 1960s, um, uh. like she didn't have a phone in her apartment. And I remember writing scenes where she calls people from that apartment and I had to change them when I realized, no, wait, this doesn't make any sense. She had no phone. People yeah. know she had no phone. Um, so there's this sense of like reality um, that I had to pay much more attention to. Um, but I, I think that, that that book also sort of, it, I, I did end up getting swept away in parts of it as well. Um, 
but but I, I also think that that did take a lot more more pre-writing than this book did for sure you've also used reimagining as a technique in your debut novel betwixt and between which is a reimagining of the peter oh, yes. pan story can you tell our listeners about that mm. well that was interesting because um that idea came when I was playing with my son and, and I started telling him the story of Peter Pan. Um, and I realized, well, this is an interesting way to think about this story. And I started thinking about Neverland as the place where children go when they die and, and Peter Pan taking care of them. And I actually did a lot of research for that as, as well. And I, I found a book by, it's more like a novella by J.M. Barry called Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens, which is, and it's, it's in the public domain. Totally. It's, it's, um, but it's it's a really sad version of Peter Pan where Peter Pan is still this character, uh. but he knows he can grow up and it's sad and he's very sad. Um, and and seeing that and, and the play is so happy-go-lucky and playing with pirates and, and the story is not. Um, so that was really an interesting inspiration um, for it as well. But this idea of playing with literature um, and ideas and and sort of seeing how you can push those boundaries um, is something I've always been sort of interested in. It's it's a great motif. You also publish sci-fi and fantasy fiction as um, J.M. Stephen. What do you what do you love about those genres? I do. The, those genres are really fun. Um, I they're like, and I what the way I describe them is sort of like when I'm writing literary fiction, it's like sitting down to like a three course gourmet meal and the writing and the reading of it is slow and you savor it and it's artful. And the, the writing of, you know, sci-fi and fantasy is sort of like eating a big bowl of ice cream. And it's, it's yes. also really enjoyable. And I do, I love it. And, um, and there's a, a lot of things to play with and everyone can be pretty and teenagers are making out and all this just fun stuff. Um, but also there's room for idea. Um, I think what's great about sci-fi is the way that you can parallel the real world and and parallel ideas. Um, in my my um, series, the Chronicle of Chronicles of Pan, um, there's this sort of motif of who is the bad guy now? Who's the real bad guy? Um, yeah. And I, you know, the idea, the villain. Maybe they're not the villain. Maybe there is no villain. Maybe situation is the villain. And um, so I like playing with those ideas. Um, and I think you can do that in sci-fi because um, you can push boundaries. You can. There's certainly been a re- renaissance in, let's say, thinky, <laughs> thinky pain sci-fi <laughs> the last yes. last 10 yeah. years. I, I don't know if you've read um, The Three-Body Problem. No, but a friend of mine is reading it and they're telling I should watch it or I should read it. Reminds me of classic sci-fi. No, and and I think that, you know, when it comes to, um, especially the the sci-fi that we're making now, I think that there's a lot of room for interesting ideas. Um, And the world is, unfortunately, gives us too much fodder (laughs) um, in the sci-fi. But, yeah. Tell me, how do you get inspired? How do you keep your writing fresh? You know, part of it is is writing every day. I think having a routine is is really important, um, and and making writing a priority. Um, you know, it, you have you know certain responsibilities, whether they're family or or work or or other writing jobs that are not necessarily creative, and um, it, it's making sure that you still 
care about your writer. I still care about my writing. And that's, that's sort of really important. Um, is like, sometimes I say, you have to scratch and claw the time sometimes, but you can get it every day. Um, so having writing time every day is important. I find reading, um, you know, writers read it, it, it. It's such a silly old adage, but it's true. Um, that has really been yeah. helpful and, and inspiring. Um, and I just think I, I, there's a way in which when I'm writing, I'm thinking a certain way. Um, and, and I notice this because sometimes I'll, I won't be writing fiction. I'll be writing poetry and, and I am, I am not the world's greatest poet at all. And I would not say that I am a good poet, um, or a publishable poet, but I love writing it. And yeah. like, my brain is different on poetry. Like I, like I think in metaphor and I see images and I think about, what it could mean in a larger context. And um, it's sort of a, a cool way to put your brain into different space. And I think that when I'm writing literary fiction, I definitely, I can hear the narrator's voice in my head. Yeah. I can just, it's there all the time. It's sort of crazy. And, you know, I, I, I tell my creative writing students, I only talk about writing with people who write because people who don't write just think I'm insane when I say these things, <laughs> but, but I do, the book is always with you. And I think that's special and, and wonderful. Are you a morning person or an evening person when it comes to carving out your writing time? I am definitely a morning person. Um, like yourself, I get up at five o'clock in the morning um, and write for at least an hour, usually an hour and a half. Um, and then I'll, I'll do some meditation and, and Pilates and then I'll, you know, have my day. And yeah. then I'll try to come home and do a little editing. Um, I find editing is good to do it at night. Um, but um, I've read a lot of like interesting writing routines, like um, Joan Didion said she used to write in the morning and then she'd edit at night, but only with a drink. Cause if she didn't have a drink, she wouldn't be able to edit right, which seems <laughs> contradictory. Like a drink is not going to help you be an editor, but apparently it helped Joan Didion. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. I think there's a lot to be said for, for, for writing. So soon after sleep, you're sort of in that half sleep brain. Um, ideas seem to come a bit more fluidly. I, I do. I think that the day deadens my brain. doesn't matter what I'm doing, whether it's, it's, it's good things or, or difficult things or boring things. And um, by, by the middle of the day, my brain is just not quite at peak. Yeah. So, yeah morning. And certainly the end of the day, your, your logical brain's more energized oh, yes. to, to deal with things like editing. You, exactly. you, also, you also work in publishing, of course. What's your mm -hmm. advice to writers who would like to be published? In approaching publishers, it's a lot of it is, you know, and, and this is what I've noticed, especially um, with like literary magazines and stuff, um, is is knowing who to approach and, and how many, you know, submissions they're willing to take. So I remember learning in a, when I worked at, at my first literary magazine and, and I'm, I'm working on the, the Global City Review right now, um, and and we have the same policy where we'll have like twelve slots of short stories, um, but we only have two slots that that aren't filled, and we've got people lined up for everything else, and they don't tell you that. Um, yeah. And so, and I like to tell people that, um, especially people who are getting into writing and and trying to publish short stories, because it um it can be very you know difficult. Um, like getting the rejection. And, and I always want writers to know, well, you, you, you got re rejected largely because there was no space in the magazine and, and it had nothing to do with you. And I know that doesn't always feel good. Oh, it had nothing to do with you. Um, but 
um, it's just good to sort of know that that the the odds are a little different, um, yeah. and and just to keep trying um, because everyone I know who keeps trying eventually breaks in somewhere. Not necessarily New York Times bestseller, um, but breaks in somewhere. And I, I think as far as getting an agent or, or even a, a small press publisher, depending on, on who you want to you know query and, and work with, um, I, I think that it does come down to making those connections. Um, an agent is going to pay much more attention if you mention something that they've that they have um, represented. Yeah. Um, same thing with a, a publisher. Oh, well, my book is sort of like this book, but it's different because, but it's like this book you did. So it not only shows that you cared enough to do your homework, because yeah. um, agents also get like mass emails where they don't even BCC. They just put in all of these different dear agents and they hate that. <laughs> don't uh, do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, just really, <laughs> yes, definitely. Do not do that. Yes. Um, or a publisher, but um, it just making that connection in the first paragraph. Look, I know you did this book. I love this book. Um, and and any agent's website will have the books that they have, yeah. that they're, they've recently um, sold. Um, so making that connection is is something that they look for. You know, it, it's hard in, in this world, pandemic world, to go to like conferences, but we do have like Zoom conferences and online conferences. And if you can get any FaceTime with an agent or a small press publisher, um, it's helpful. Um, and it's, it's annoying. And, you know, I'm an introvert. I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, I just want to like hide in my room and write and, and that's it. And, but unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, you can't do that all the time. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, trying to get your stuff out there that way, um, making connections with other writers, um, you know, getting into like, you know, different groups with writers online. There's a lot of different resources available, even like, and it sounds silly, but Facebook writing groups or like reading groups. Like I have sold so many books by posting, you know, about my book in like a, a write, reading group on Facebook. Um, yeah. And, you know, you don't want to do it too much because you don't want to be sell, sell, sell because no one wants to listen to that. Um, but strategically um, doing that. Um, also Goodreads is a good way, you know, if you are, you know, you know, if you, if you haven't been published yet, definitely reviewing on Goodreads is something that, you know, and, and having a lot of books that you've reviewed, then authors take notice of you and then authors start talking to you and then they start connecting you to other people. Um, so there's lots of different ways to like create your network um, that aren't just, oh, go out in the world and be scrappy and knock on the editor's door and, you know, um, so yeah, that's, yeah. I've always thought it's important for self-published writers to try to build some sort of platform. Um, yes. Just get out there and get visible, I guess. Oh, definitely. What, definitely. What's, what's the best advice you've received as a writer over the years? You know, I think that um, the, the best advice was from um, this woman named Felicia Bonaparte, who was my um, mentor in, in graduate school. Um, and, and she used to say, you know, no matter what you're doing, just keep writing um, and just keep it up. Um, and don't be afraid to change and don't be afraid to grow, um, but also just be who you are as a writer. Um, 
And, you know, she was reacting to, you know, this idea of, well, should I write to please the publisher or should I write to, to get into this magazine? And she's like, it's not going to matter, you know, in, in 30 years and 50 years. Um, what matters is that you put you on the page um, and yeah. you on the page is always. And I've seen it with so many, you know, that, that raw energy that some writers have, um, you know, that it's just, it's really powerful. And, you know, Joan Didion had it in her, her last couple of memoirs and um, Philip Roth has it in his earlier stuff that um, just, it's almost like if you are not reading your stuff and are not embarrassed, you're not doing it right. <laughs> you have not put enough of yourself on the page. Um, and so that was sort of the best. You, you teach writing as well, so you, you must see a lot of that raw energy from your students. What, what do you love about teaching writing? I, you know, the best thing is just connecting with these students um, and teaching writing as opposed to teaching like, you know, English or, or literature. Um, the people who take a writing class care. And they have such an energy because they care. Um, and so I've taught, you know, at, at the new school where the writers were pretty accomplished. Um, and then I've taught sort of introduction to creative writing, people who have never like put pen to paper creatively in their lives. Um, and there's a lot of great stuff for, for both schools. Um, I've seen some really great work come out of the new school and, and city college and um, where I've writing um and you know a couple of my my students have been published um and a few have gotten agents um and and that's always awesome but like the newbies also have this energy about them that they just yeah. really care about writing and they really want to learn and soak it all up and they're also very vulnerable i have gotten the most vulnerable stories that i am just touched that they trust me with um from people who are new to writing and just want to put themselves on the page. Yeah. Um, and I've always found that beautiful. And, and there is something about the, the youth. So what's next for Jessica Stilling? You've got a, a new book in the works. Yes. Um, so I'm working on a, a book right now with um, a, a different publisher called Nine Star Press um, called Just So Many Places, uh, um, which is a, a novel about a, a couple who moves to Iceland um, and buys a sheep farm and they're American and they buy a sheep farm in Iceland and uh. hijinks and zoo. And it's, it's, um, but it, it's literary and it's a very soft sort of family drama novel. It's, 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 it's not quite as bang, bang, bang as, as um, um, the weary God of ancient travelers can be. Um, but I, so that's coming out. Um, book number three of the pan, Chronicles is coming out in February. Um, and so, and I'm currently arguing with my publisher over the cover um, of that book. Um, so that's a fun thing when you can argue about covers. <laughs> um, but, um, so those are the two things that are <laughs> coming out soon. And then, um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a, a book now um, that sort of is, is based on my mother's family. Um, and, and sort of, it's almost like, the story of her life as opposed to the story of my life. But there's definitely a lot of me in the book as well. Um, not me as a character, but me and sort of the, the overall tone of it. Well, it sounds like you're keeping busy and uh, I look forward to seeing those books and reading them. Where, where can listeners get in contact and buy your books? Um, well, they're definitely all on Amazon um, is where 
a lot of my, my publishers put them, but um, you can go to, and I'll just put it in the chat too, um, jessicastilling.com. Um, that's my website. Um, and they're up on my website as well. Fantastic. Well, thank thanks for coming on the show, Jessica, and um, good luck with the book. Uh, it's been published a few months now, but it's a thank fantastic you. read, and I highly recommend it to anyone. That's, of course, the weary god of ancient travellers. Thank you. That was Jessica Stilling. You can get in contact, buy her books, and find out all things Jessica Stilling on her official author's website, jessicastilling.com. To find out more about The Writer's Show and more information about this and other episodes, visit our official website at thewritersshow.com. The Writer's Show is a podcast produced by Madhouse Media Publishing. Get your book published today the right way. Visit madhousemedia.com.au to find out how. That's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm your host, Jeff Hughes. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 